This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I am so excited to be sharing with you guys this morning, and my goodness, wasn't that worship absolutely amazing? Thank you, worship team. We have absolutely an amazing Heavenly Father that loves to come and just refresh and love on and pour out into his children. When we lift our praises to him, he has to respond. He just cannot respond. He just loves the the worship and the praises of his people. I just want to take a moment this morning. I just want to say a quick prayer before we get into our message today. So let's just uh, take a moment before God. Father, we just thank you so much for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come and that you would just anoint these these words, Father. I pray that you would anoint this message. Father, I thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus, and Jesus came to reveal the Father. So I just pray this morning that for each and every person here, that we would have our minds and our hearts and our spirits opened and softened to hear the word of the Father's love coming forth today. Father, we just welcome you in this place. Let your anointing rest on every word. And Father, I'm asking that you would literally touch absolutely every person in this place, that they would walk out of here changed and transformed because of what you have done, the person you have revealed, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be with us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking about the Father's love. It is my absolute favorite subject. And um, this morning, as we all know, most of us sitting here are probably Christians, and we recognize that um, in the Bible, the God, God talks about the fact that we're to be a representation of Jesus Christ. And a representation of Jesus Christ means this, when you say it a slightly different way, that it's represent. And um, when we represent something, it means that we are taking from what we have heard and what we have seen, and we are then maybe going to somebody and representing it to them. So if I were to be sitting beside Richard, and I would whisper in his ear something, um, because I had, you know, I couldn't speak that day or something like that, then he would have to get up and he would have to represent what I just whispered to him uh, so that everybody could hear. But uh, the thing is, is that he would have to do that with the same heart and the same mind. He would want to represent present what I was sharing with him with you in the exact same manner in which I had given it to him. And it's similar to uh, when we have translators, um, and they're translating from one one language to another. Um, If you have somebody that's doing sign language, if you've ever seen people doing the sign language, they're very expressive in their their facial expressions, their movements, all those kinds of things, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to represent to you um, what somebody has said to them, and they're trying to do it in such a way that they can represent the very heart and the very mind of that individual to another. And so that's what what our calling is as Christians. We're called to represent, to represent uh, Jesus Christ and the Father to those that are around them. And uh, so the, uh, the way that we receive the love of Christ 
who is the exact representation, representing the Father, is the way that we will give or represent Christ in the Father to others. So we know that the love of the Father is absolutely crucial and integral to each and every one of our lives as Christians. Truly, when we say that um, all we need is love, it truly is, all we need is love. But the kind of love that we need is not the love that this world espouses, the kind of love that we need to understand and to grasp and then be able to reveal and represent is the love of the Father. Amen? So I have an absolute honor of being able to share that this morning. So as you know, I'm starting a two-part message for this week and next week, and my message is called Embraced. And it's, we are loved to love. And embraced means to be encircled and surrounded. And I think somebody prayed in the uh, pre-service prayer this morning that we would literally be surrounded with the love of God this morning. They didn't realize how bang on they were that literally God wants to embrace us with his love this morning, that we would be loved and that we would then embrace others and we would be loved to them. So this week... Um, my message actually is based on 1 John 19b, and it says this, First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. So today, the message actually, although the series is called Embrace, today's message is called First He. So first we were loved, and then next week I'm going to talk about now we, now we love. So we have a loving Heavenly Father who gave his Son that we might have a mediator, that we might have a connection, that we might be forgiven and saved and adopted into the family of God, that we would be in the Father's family, and that we would no longer be disconnected because of our sins that um, Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden. We were suddenly separated and disconnected from the, the original thought, the original idea of the Father having a family. And so a question I want to put to us this morning is, So how are we receiving or perceiving the Father and the Son today? Do we view them as harsh and unloving, ready to smack us around because we've sinned? I'm sure if I were to take a poll from every one of you at some point in your life, you would have said, I think God is unloving and he's harsh and he's unkind. Um, so we want to recognize how are we receiving and perceiving the Father this morning? Do we view the Father in Jesus as loving, compassionate, kind, merciful, and forgiving? For some reason, we have an easier time of seeing the Father as harsh and unkind than as loving and forgiving, and yet the Bible, from the beginning to the end, literally is God's love letter to us, that it actually is expressing something else to us, that it's, it is the love of the Father. But sometimes we just get bogged down, even in the Old Testament, we get bogged down in that. We get bogged down sometimes in, in details and mis, misrepresentation. Somebody has been misrepresenting God the Father in Jesus Christ to us. And we end up with a a false perception of who Jesus is and who the Father is. So that's a question that we want to ask ourselves this morning. How are we receiving and perceiving the Father? Are we tending to view God the Father the way we experienced our earthly fathers? 
You know, for a lot of us, that's exactly what we do. I know I did. I had a very, um, I did grow up in a, in a Christian home, but I had a very traditional, religious, uh, legalistic type of relationship with my father. And it was all about rules. And although he, he loved Jesus, there was just something that he missed. And what I think he missed was the love of the father. He got the concept of forgiveness of sins. And, but that's where it stopped. It stopped at the cross and he didn't access the love of the father. And so what was represented to us as children was rules and regulations instead of relationship and love and kindness and compassion. And I remember at one point when I became a new a Christian and I was starting to heal, literally the, God came to me and he said, Rachel, you're going to have to come out from your father's household. And what he was saying was not that I was coming out of the household, out of the actual house, although I already was out of the house because I was married, what he was saying is, I need you to come out from underneath that perspective that your father presented to you. And the only thing I'm going to let you take away from what you learned as a child is that Jesus Christ loves you. Everything else is going to have to be dismantled. We're going to have to renew your mind and renew your perspective so that what you are receiving and perceiving of the father is not of your earthly father, but of your heavenly father. And it's been an amazing journey to, to um, have and allow God to do that in my heart. So sometimes we also have a tendency to view Jesus as the kind and merciful one, and the Father as this distant, harsh, condemning, angry God. I don't know about you, but there's been times when it's so much easier to say the name Jesus than to say Father. People stumble over saying Father. They can say God, they can say Lord, they can say Master, they can say Jesus, but it really takes a heart change, a renewing of the mind, a, 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 again, a, a reconstruction of our perception for us to move to a place where we can say, Father, Abba, Daddy, God. That's a really hard thing for each and every one of us to grasp. And, and we have an easier time of accessing Jesus than we do the Father. So this morning, if that is you, you have a hard time accessing the Father heart of God, the love of the Father, then we want to shift that perspective this morning. So one of my main points that I want to start to to delve into, to help us to change our perspective, if we do have that kind of a perspective of the Father, is that number one, God never had to send us his Son. He never had to reveal himself to mankind. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we grew up in a world where we know, we know God. Like, we know about God. We know that Jesus came. And sometimes we don't even contemplate something. So we may go through our lives, and we often blame God for many, many things that happens in our lives. The sins that others um, maybe do against us or the struggles that we have in our humanity. Um, and we blame God for those things. And we say, God, why? And one of the things, in order for us to, I know it sounds funny, but in order for us to access the real love of the Father, we have to understand that not at any point after the sin of Adam and Eve did God ever have to reveal himself to mankind. He could have ended it right there and said, okay, that's it, that's done. You go to hell, and I stay in heaven, and there's a separation, and so sorry, off you go. But he didn't. 
So the, the love of the Father is, is beginning to be shown by the fact that he began to reveal himself to mankind after the fall. He began to reveal himself to Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob until he actually had a people that he could bring Jesus Christ through. I think it's an absolutely amazing thing to recognize that not only did he not have to reveal himself to mankind, but he did not have to give us his son. He did not have to send uh, Jesus Christ here. You know, um, we have um, there's a there's a wrong perspective that happens out there when when we're talking about salvation. And this is where some people get off on their doctrine of salvation. Um, we of course know, and I, I know impact. So I know uh, you guys sitting here believe in the fact that Jesus is the only way. That you have to have a relationship with Christ. That you have to believe in the Son of God in order to be saved and have your sins forgiven, and have that right relationship with God again. But there is a perspective out there in our world that that salvation is is owed to us. That it's like God is obligated to to give us eternal life. That He's obligated to save us. So whether we accept Jesus Christ or not, it does doesn't matter. The Father, because he's loving, he's obligated to give us salvation. But he isn't. There is no obligation for God to reveal himself. There is no obligation for God to send his son to us. You see, it says that in the Bible, it tells us that our sin has made us an enemy of God and we are separated from him. And the penalty for sin is is death, physically and spiritually. And Romans 6 and 23a says this, for the wages of sin is death. The world wants to tell us that God's love is so inclusive that he winks at sin. How many of you on Facebook? (laughs) Oh my goodness, the stuff that people put on Facebook, I'm like, are you kidding? Is that really how you think God works? Um, And really, you need to get yourself in a church and hear the truth because, my goodness, some of the stuff that's out there, I'm just, wow, um, that they they think that God's just going to wink at their sin. They think that... um, that supposedly if I, if I just do loving acts and loving kindness and if I don't hurt anybody, but the very next day they're doing something that hurts somebody, but oh no, it's, it's because I want to do it. And yet they think that because God is so loving, he's just going to wink at that and he's just going to let them into heaven. And, um, and, but despite our sin, he will, out of his love, include us in heaven. That's what they're thinking. And that there is absolutely no punishment for sin. But God says that he reveals his love this way. Romans 5 and 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he sent his son to die for us. And 1 John 4 and 10 in the message says this, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. So again, God never had to reveal himself To mankind, he never had to send his son, but he chooses to show his love by those two very things, revealing himself, sending his son, and it is a gift of God. Romans 6, 23 says this, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some people want to read that scripture and they want to stop after this. But the gift of God is eternal life. They don't want to continue on and say, but it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's where we receive the love of the Father. It's how he reveals his love to us, is by revealing himself to mankind and then sending forth his Son uh, to humanity. Another question I want to put to us this morning is this. So what does this mean? Why does that reveal, reveal the Father's love? And it means this. It means that the Father didn't owe us Christ. He chose to give us Christ. That's the gift of eternal life. That's the gift of salvation. That God did not have to. He did not owe us Christ. He doesn't owe us forgiveness. But he, um, he chose to send and give us Christ. So before the foundations of the world were, we were created to... Sorry. Before the foundations of the world were created... He chose to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven, that we might be saved and adopted as a child of God. And not only did the Father choose, but Christ also chose to be set aside as a mediator. So first of all, Jesus Christ chose to be set aside in heaven. So when he was God in heaven and divine, and he didn't lose his divinity, he did bring his divinity to earth, but we're talking about when he was in heaven. So he's completely divine, and he's choosing to be set aside as a mediator. In Ephesians 1 and 4 and 7 says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his good pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, and this is the interesting point, that not only did Jesus Christ choose to be sent, to be our mediator, to be our connection point when he was in heaven, but then when he came to earth, and he was here on earth as a human being, that he was both divine and human. But as a human being, he also chose to be set aside as our mediator. And he chose to allow himself to go to the cross and experience a gruesome death. And it's interesting to note that not only in heaven did he have to choose, but when Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him choosing again as a human being. So not only did God choose as divine, but he chose as a human being to be set aside as our mediator. Does that not reveal the love of the Father and the love of the Son for us? And we see in the garden where Jesus Christ said, not my will, but yours be done. That was his saying, God, I choose to be the one to be set aside as their Savior so they can have their sins forgiven. In Romans 8 and 3 in the message says this, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. So God did not wink at sin. He did not go, oh, that's, that's not important to deal with. It was so important to deal with so that we could access the love of the Father again. So in his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. And I just feel like this morning, that as I was reading over my notes this morning, I felt like God was saying that there are going to be people there today 
that they're literally struggling in their humanity. They're struggling in the, in the mess that has been created in their lives by the sin of others and their own sin, and they're just struggling in their humanity. And I believe that God just wants you to know that he has already gone for the jugular of the enemy who's trying to oppress you and trying to take you down, and he went for the jugular, and he dealt with it through the person of Jesus Christ whom he sent because the Father loves you. The Father wants you to know that he loves you. The mess of that sin, the mess of that life, God wants you to know that he's already dealt with it on the cross and that he's going to work that out. As you lean on him, as you rest in him, he's going to work that out for you this morning. So God didn't, and he doesn't wink at sin, but he provides remission for our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. My second point is this. God is love. So first point was that he did not have to send his son. He did not have to reveal himself to mankind. The second point is that God is love. 1 John 4 and 17 says this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. And the question is, what does it mean that God is love? Well, it means it's his nature. If you were to, if I were to be holding up an orange this morning, and I were to squeeze that orange, what would you say would come out of that orange? Orange juice. And so why would orange juice come out of the orange? Because that's its nature. It's an orange. Absolutely. So God's nature is love. And we saw when Jesus Christ was on the cross, when God got squeezed, what came out? He said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the most horrifying, gruesome death you could possibly endure on this earth? This pure and innocent person who has chosen to come when he got squeezed, said, Father, Forgive them. They know not what they do. Something I've been asking myself and God this week is, you know, God, how is it that you chose us to receive a call to represent and preach the gospel, knowing that we would sin consciously and unconsciously? And I was personalizing it to myself, and I was asking, you know, how is it you would choose me, God, when in my mind my sins would disqualify me? And I was thinking through this concept that, you know, we have a tendency to, to subtly have this perspective that a sin that another commits doesn't disqualify them if they repent, but it should disqualify me. It should disqualify us. And we think that we are unworthy of representing the love of Jesus and the love of of the Father to those that are around us. Because we have a tendency to think, well, everybody else could, could be good enough to do that. But not me. My sins, you know, even if they're repented of, should disqualify me. 
But what that does is it gives us a subtle thought, then it becomes this, that I am only qualified by good works and a good life. Isn't that amazing? I hadn't thought of that until this week when, when I was just asking God those questions, and, and he brought that up for me, that, that what that means is that you're not just leaning on me as being your one and only reason for being able to represent my, me and the Father. It's because somehow you think that your representation is based on your good works and your good life. But the Father's message is this to us. We are strictly qualified by the Son's sacrifice and the gift of salvation. That's it. I don't know who you are here this morning, what you're sitting in, what you're dealing with, what you're thinking about. Maybe you're thinking about you're, you're, you couldn't possibly represent Jesus to anybody, but somebody down the road could. Somebody else could. They would be qualified. I'm not qualified. But if you're sitting here today and you are in Christ, then the Father says to you, you are qualified strictly based on my love for you and the fact that I sent my son and now you believe in him. You're strictly qualified because of his sacrifice. John 6 and 28 to 29 says this, Then they, and he's talking about the disciples, asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Amazing. (laughs) Pressure is lifted. It's not us. It's It's not about the work or the life that we do, although we do want to move into those things with purity and all those kinds of things. But at the fundamental basis, at the place where our motive is and our thought process is, the only thing we can bounce off is the Father's love, His Son, and the sacrifice of His Son. And our belief in that. Amazing. We don't have to do anything else. An example of that in the Bible is... um, uh, that Luke describes it as the sinful woman who has come to the Pharisee's house because she's heard that Jesus Christ is having dinner with them. And um, so they're in the Pharisee's house, and this sinful woman, she comes with her alabaster box, with his, which is perfume. And she comes, and she is so broken with her sinful life and who Jesus is and that he is accepting of her. And, and she's re- seeking out that forgiveness from Christ. And she washes his feet with her tears, and then she pours this, this jar of oil, this alabaster box, she breaks it open and she pours it over his feet and, and the Pharisees and the religion and they're, they're pointing their fingers at her and they're literally saying to, to Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, do you know who she is? Do you know what she's done? If you did, you wouldn't allow her to even touch you. But Jesus did know. He also knew that he was about to die for her. And she was anointing him with her tears of repentance and the oil of sacrifice. And soon her sins would be buried and she would come to life for having believed in the Son of God. So all of the religious Pharisees who literally, beyond the letter of the law, lived rules upon rules upon rules. They were seen as the most holy people in that culture and in that time. They were pointing their finger at this woman and saying, to the Son of God, Jesus, how could you even let her touch you? 
And he's saying to this woman who's literally just saying, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for all my sins. And I will pour out my worship on you because I know you're going to die for my sins. And she's the one that is forgiven. She's the one that becomes qualified. Not by what she had done or what she was doing, but just in the fact that she was repenting and believing in the Son of God. So unconditional love is never based on the performance or goodness of the one receiving the love. It is based on the nature of the one giving the love, and God is love. That is God's nature. So God didn't have to send his son. God is love. And point number three is God loved us first. So as I mentioned earlier, First John 4 and 19 says, First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. And when we look at the Apostle Paul, you know, um, we know the Apostle Paul as when he started out, he was one of those Pharisees. He was religious and legalistic and rule-oriented, and he killed Christians, murdered Christians, thinking that he was doing uh, God a favor. Um, but then he comes to Christ on the Damascus Road, and he begins to believe in Jesus Christ. And we begin to see the progression of the Apostle Paul's life as he moves from one who begins to have the love of God break upon his heart um, to eventually, so he starts out saying that he, in the Bible, he starts out as saying that he is the least of the apostles. And then by the time he gets to the end of his life, he's had such a revelation of the love of God and the love of the Father that he then begins to declare himself that he's the worst of sinners. And that the only qualification that he had was that Jesus Christ saved him so that he could represent the gospel to those who didn't know him. That was it. So he starts off going, okay, I'm... I'm one of the least of the apostles. (laughs) And then I'm the least of the saints. And then he moves to, I'm the least of the sinners. And he's starting to recognize the love of the Father. So, you know, sometimes what we miss with the love of the Father is that the closer we get to the love of the Father, sometimes the further down we get in our spirit in terms of laying everything down at his feet and recognizing, God, I have nothing. I'm absolutely nothing without you and without your son. I have nothing to offer you. It's all you giving it to me, God. It's all you giving giving me your love that I can then be able to love other people. It's not about what we do. It's all about him. And um, 1 John 4, 15 to 16 says this, Also, we have seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. And we know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God. So a question for us this morning is, what does the Father want us to do with the knowledge that he has loved us first? And so today I'm going to be sharing the first part of what God wants us to do, and next week I'm actually going to share the second thing. But the first thing that God wants us to do with the knowledge that he loved us first is he wants us to embrace his love. 1 John 4 and 16 says, We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul, this love 
that comes from God. So what love did they know so well? What love was it that the Apostle Paul was speaking of? And I just want to read a passage, um, Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12, and this is in the message. And I've collapsed it a little bit, so if you were to go and look it up, you'll see some scriptures in between that I have taken out. Um, But it's basically 1 to 12. And it says this, Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? We look down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is, it was our pains that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing for him, him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole, and through his bruises, we get healed. And God has piled all our sins, everything that we have done wrong, on him. He was beaten. He was tortured, but he didn't say a word. He took it all in silence. Even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true, still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he would see life come from it. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. He looked death in the face and didn't flinch. He embraced the company of the lowest, and he took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. So Jesus, who is this pure and innocent lamb, came and sacrificed his life on the cross so that he could embrace our sin. So he came and he encircled and surrounded our sin so that we could then be embraced by his love, that we could be completely encircled and surrounded by the love of Jesus and revealing the love of the Father here on earth. Is that absolutely amazing that he chose to embrace our sin, that there's absolutely nothing that he owes us, but he chose, he chose to come and to do this on our behalf. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? There's the love of the Father saying that the separation is no longer separate that we're intimately involved in him, that he's already done everything for us. He would be glad to do anything else for us. We can go to him. We have access to him. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst of sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, Today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can, 
can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. What I want to just say this morning is that we don't have to be pure first for God to embrace us. He only calls us to come and to repent and receive forgiveness that we would be embraced by his love. And from that point, he begins to make us pure. We don't have to be pure in order to get to Jesus. We become pure after we embrace Jesus. So he wants us to embrace his love. Romans 8 and 4 says this, Instead of redoubling our efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And Romans 12 and 1 says, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And I have an example and we're in a few minutes, we're going to play a video, but um, I have an example I just wanted to share with you. Um, this was a book that I used to run a daycare for six years, and um, I used to read this book to my daycare kids all the time, and, and it's actually a story about adoption. So there's this family of tigers who can't have any little tigers, so they, have, they adopt a little leopard. And um, when he's growing up, he's, he's really happy and he feels loved. And every night his mom tucks him in and she tells him about um, how she and, her fa- and his father chose him to be a part of their family. That they couldn't have any children, uh, but they wanted children. So they chose him to be a part of their family. So at one point in his little life, he starts to struggle with this concept because he feels all alone. He feels different. He's at his birthday party and he's the only leopard. Everybody else is a tiger. And he's feeling lonely. He's feeling um, isolated, different, separated. And so one day he ends up running away from home. And he runs away to a park and he has a really great time. He runs into some other leopards family and there's a mother and a father and the children and they're all leopards and he goes and he plays with them all day and he has a great time Um, but then it starts to get dark and he starts to feel lonely and he starts to miss his mom and his dad and his family and he decides no it would be and and actually they're out searching for him and um, he, he actually ends up he was lost and he couldn't find his way back home but his mom and dad finally find him and when he finds his family he's so excited that he's back in the loving embrace of his mother and his father and they take him home and that night she feeds him she gives him a bath and she puts him into bed and again she tells him that story about the fact that they could not have any children they could not have a family of their own so they chose him to adopt to be a part of their family and the perfect part of this story I absolutely love this part is at the very end of the story he says this to his mom just before he goes off to sleep he says mommy if you chose me can I choose you too and I think that that's the heart of the father this morning that he wants each and every one of us to know that despite the difference, despite the separation, despite the distance, despite the sometimes feeling like you're at odds, that he literally has chosen you to be a part of his family, that he has wanted to reveal his love to you by revealing himself to mankind, bringing and sending his son, and revealing to each and every one of us that he has loved us first and he has chosen us. All he asks, all he requires is to say, will you choose me too? Will you choose the one that I sent to reveal my love for mankind?
Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 